Hi, this is Into the Greenwood. I'm Kathy. And I'm Rosie. And today we're looking at the child ballad uh, Drowned Lovers, otherwise known as Clyde Water and also known as Mother's Malice or Mother's Curse. Uh, it's a tragic love story about um, a doomed young couple. Mm-hmm. And we kind of get into all that that entails, basically. We throw around a lot of examples of other tragedies, and hopefully some of them will be new and exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, we hope you enjoy. We hope you get something out of this. <laughs> yeah, we hope it's not just tragedy and <laughs> nothing that mitigates that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Willie stands in a stable door and clapping at his steed and looking o'er his white fingers his nose began to bleed. Gee corn to my horse mother and meat to my young man and aloe to Maggie's bower, I'll win her she lie down. O bide this night wi' me, Willie, O bide this night wi' me. The best in cock and other reest at your supper shall be. I your cocks and I your reests, I value not a prin, for aloe to Maggie's bower and I'll win her she lie down. Stay this night wi' me, Willie, O stay this night wi' me. The best in sheep and a the flock at your supper shall be. I your sheep and I your flocks, I value not a prin, for aloe to Maggie's bower, and I'll win her she lie down. O when ye gang to Maggie's bower, say Sarah against my will, the deepest pot in Clyde's water, my malice in ye's feel. The good steed that I ride upon cost me thrice thirty pound, and I'll put trust in his swift feet to hae me safe to land. As he rade o'er yon high, high hill, and down yon dowie den, the noise that was in Clyde's water would feared five hundred men. O roaring Clyde, your roar hour loud, your streams seem wondrous strong. Make me your wreck as I come back, but spare me as in gang. Then he is on to Maggie's bower, and turled at the pin. O sleep ye, wake ye, Maggie, he said. You'll open, let me come in. O who has this at my bower door that calls me by my name? It is your first love, sweet Willie, this night newly come hame. I hae few lovers there out there, as few hae I therein. The best in love that ever I had was here just late yestreen. The worst in stable and I your stables, for my poor steed to stand. The worst in bower and I your bowers, for me to lie therein. My boots are full of Clyde's water, I'm shivering at the chin. My barns are full of corn, Willie, my stables are full of hay. My bowers are full of gentlemen, they'll ne'er remove till day. Oh, fare you well, my false Maggie, oh, farewell and adieu. I've gotten my mother's malison this night coming to you. As he rode o'er yon high, high hill and down yon downy den, the rushing that was in Clyde's water took Willie's cane for him. He leaned him over his saddle bow to catch his cane again. The rushing that was in Clyde's water took Willie's hat for him. He leaned him o'er his saddle bow to catch his hat throw force. The rushing that was in Clyde's water took Willie Frey his horse. His brother stood up o the bank, says, Fie, man, will you drown? You'll turn you to your high horse head and learn how to sound. How can I turn to my horse head and learn how to sound? I've gotten my mother's malice in. It's here that I'm on drown. The very hour this young man sank into the pot so deep, up it wakened his love Maggie out o'er drowsy sleep. 
Come here, come here, my mother dear, and read to this dreary dream. I dreamed my love was at our gates, and nane would let him in. Lie still, lie still now, my Maggie, lie still and tack your rest. Sin your love was at our gates, it's but to our quarters past. Nimbly, nimbly raised she up, and nimbly patched she on, and the higher that the lady cried, the louder blew the wind. The first in step that she stepped in, she stepped to the cleat. Ohana lass, said that lady, this water's wondrous deep. The next in step that she weighed in, she weighed it to her knee. Says she, I could wade farther in, if I my love could see. The next in step that she weighed in, she's weighed it to the chin. The deepest pot in Clyde's water, she's got sweet Willie in. You've had a cruel mother, Willie, and I have had another. But we shall sleep in the Clyde's water, like sister and like brother. Noticing kelp in a man's hair by a lockside. Oh my goodness. Two, dying to protect the recipe of Heather Ale from some invaders. Hmm. Having bamboozled them into murdering your son first. Gosh. So that he can't give the recipe to Wild Tail. (laughs) Where is this story falling? Where is the story? Hmm. Gosh. You know, I, I think it's I think it's kind of solidly in the middle of those two. I think it's quite mm-hmm. you know, it's it's got it's got a sense of longing, it's got a sense Absolutely. of a sense of tragedy, a sense of doomed love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We love this. I'm, I'm placing it square in the middle. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I thought so. <laughs> thought it would be. Okay, so we can start with a little summary. Mm-hmm. Okay. So basically William wants to go and see his love, who is May Margaret or Maggie, um, but his mother doesn't want him to go. So she curses him, saying that if he goes against her wishes, he'll drown in the deepest parts of the River Clyde. He goes anyway, but when he gets there, Maggie's mother speaks to him through the door, pretending to be Maggie, and she says that she has been unfaithful to William and has lots of men in her bedroom. William leaves and drowns in the Clyde water. Maggie wakes up having dreamt that William was at their gates, being denied entry, and her mother tells her that he was only just there. Maggie goes after William, and she herself then drowns in the river too. So, the end. <laughs> You're welcome for this final Christmas episode of the agreement episodes. Um, you know, it didn't really occur to us to do a festive one, we just went straight <laughs> to tragedy. <laughs> so, I thought um, initially my thoughts were that, uh, young lovers don't do very well in Scottish lore. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so I had found just a few examples, um, of other stories in Scottish folklore that are also about doomed love, just to kind of give us an idea. I also found, I found some of these on a website that was for people visiting Scotland and they even mentioned in their sort of little introduction to their article they were like we tried to find happy ones but we couldn't <laughs> oh, oh no oh. That's a shame. Yeah. <laughs> so 
and I think some of these stories are really fun, so I don't want to go too much in detail to them, in too much detail, because we can maybe cover them in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the first one is about the bare gates at Dracare House, and these are gates that have been closed and locked since the 18th century. And one of the stories is about that maybe the um, Earl was a Jacobite supporter, and when the Jacobites were defeated, he closed the gates and said he would only open them again until the Stuart was on the throne. Mm-hmm. The other is a story where it says the gates were closed in 1796 when the Earl's wife died, and he closed them saying that he would never open them again until he found love again, and they're still closed. I mean, not to be a woman, <laughs> but I know which version of that I prefer. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's got to be the tragic romance. Yeah. One, one of them's a lot, a lot spicier, I think. Oh, so much. Yeah. So then... And the next example I have is a story about the origin of the name for the Corrievrecken whirlpool. Mm-hmm. And we talked about this a little bit in our very first episode that we did together. Yes. Yeah, so that was, in that one, the origin story for the name was that it meant, like, the, it was from, like, the word for, for plate and the goddess of winter washed her plate in it. Yes. Yeah. Um, the alternative story is about a Viking prince named Brecken, which is where the, the Brecken part comes mm-hmm. from. And he wished to wed the daughter of the Lord of the Isles. And her father tells him that he'll give him permission to marry his daughter if he's able to moor his boat in the whirlpool for three nights. Um, so Brecken ask his, asks his father or a wise woman for advice and he's told to make three ropes, one of hemp, one of wool and one of maiden's hair. And he gets the maiden's hair from his true love, the girl he wants to marry. And then on the first night, like, the hemp snaps, on the second night the wool snaps, but they snap just after the whirlpool calms, so he survives the night. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and Slasher, I guess he's got the other ropes to back him up. But on the third night, the maiden's hair snaps too soon, and he drowns, and it's kind of implied that that means that his true love wasn't a maiden. Yes, sure. Um... So he drowns, and I saw, I saw some things about how his dog found his body, and he's buried in like, buried by Brecken's cave or something like that. Okay. And maybe apparently they did actually find a Viking armband, like really? gold armlet thing, in like the the sea by the whirlpool or something like that. I just saw that in passing. I don't know how verified that is, but that would be fun if that was true. And that would be <laughs> very fun indeed. Um. Yeah. Mm. Well, maybe we'll need an episode about that. Um, yeah. Have an excuse to look into archaeological remains of that yeah. area. I think that would definitely be fun to cover. And this next one would be fun to cover as oh. well. So it's called the, the Tragic Lovers of Loch Marie. I'm so ready. <laughs> so, a Viking prince and his wife. Uh, sometimes his wife is a local Scottish woman, sometimes she's also a Viking princess. Mm. They live happily together on, on the island in Loch Marie. And they're like super in love, and but and then when the husband goes out on like raids on his longboat, his wife worries, so he flies a white flag on his ship when he's returning, so that she can know sooner that he's okay. Sure. Um, but if if he's died, then his men will fly a ba- a black flag for him instead. Okay, so so yeah, very yeah. like like the um. Theseus. Yes. Yes. So um. It takes a diff- a slightly different turn. So his oh. wife is worried that he loves raiding more than he loves her, mm-hmm. or he's worried, or she's worried that the entire thing might be 
an excuse to see another woman. Ooh. So she decides to test him. Oh no. So she raises her own black flag on the island and mm. pretends to be dead. I think this might backfire. Yeah. When he sees that the, the when he sees the black flag and her lifeless body, he takes his own dagger and plunges it into his heart, blaming himself for leaving her without protection. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Realizing what's happened, she takes the same dagger and stabs her own heart. Okay. And they're buried together on the island, and their headstones are still oh. visible to this day. Okay. So there's actually two headstones there on the island. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, there's a lot happening. There. <laughs> a lot. That's amazing. Yeah. We to we're going to come back to so that. <laughs> we are circling back to that. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Next example, I wanted to mention the Selkie wife, which we covered before. And I think while we feel it's more of a happy ending for her to escape her husband who was who forced her to marry her, you can see that in some cases it's meant to be read as a tragedy where yes. they're meant to live happily together but she can't change her true nature so she leaves. Like you can kind of see that it, that's... Yeah, it yeah. tends to need pretty special variations for that to be convincing. Yeah. But that's definitely a background theme. Yes. Yeah. Another one. Sorry, I just think they're all so fun. So <laughs> there's a, a ballad, um, the Barbara Allen ballad. Oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. came up in my research too. Oh, well, there you go. Barbara rejects her love because he hurt her feelings, and he can't bear the rejection, so he dies of a broken heart. Oh wow! This causes her to realize her mistake, and so she also dies of a broken heart. <laughs> oh, okay. That's a kind of a lower tier version of the Viking one. Yeah, you know, everyone seems. A lot more silly than Barbara Allen. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I have two more examples. Okay. Um, just the fact that the um, Gaelic singer Julie Fowles, um, she mm-hmm. comments in an interview about the song My Love is on the High Seas. She kind of notes that Gaelic songs have a reputation for being very tragic and like having a lot of deaths at sea and just women yearning for their husbands mm-hmm. to come back. Mm-hmm. And she kind of notes that this particular one is unique and special because he does come back at the end oh Oh. Oh, Julie I'm sure you're right but that's so sad (laughs) yeah so then the final note I have is on an alternate version of Loch Lomond Mm. where it seems to be about a woman mourning the death of her true love who died in the battles of the Jacobite Rebellion um and I've found this one several places online, but it's hard to track down. So I feel like I haven't fully verified that it's even legitimate. Okay. okay. But um, still, so in this one, in the chorus, Scotland is replaced by heaven. So the chorus says, you tack the high road and I'll tack the low and I'll be in heaven before you. Ooh. Yeah. And then here's a couple of of verses that I selected. Um, so it goes, Oh well, oh well may I weep for yesterday in my sleep we stood bride and bridegroom together, but his mm-hmm. arms and breath were as cold as the death and his heart's blood was red on the heather. So it's quite a lot. Oh, that's so nice. That's, yeah. so that's, that's exactly how the tragic verse is supposed to go. Yeah. Thank you very much. And then another verse from it is, As dauntless in battle, as tender in love, he'd yield ne'er a foot to the foeman. But never again for the field of the slain, to his Moira will he come by Loch Lomond. Oh. <laughs> oh, Moira. 
gives me chills a bit. So I really want this to be legit, legitimate. Okay. Again, just another one we'll come back to. Yeah. Roman is a great song. Yeah, it would be great. I love the idea of that as a variation. It'd be great to do, to do an episode on that version. Oh, let's do so, it. So, yeah. So those, those are just some examples of tragic love in Scottish folklore. I hope all of you are as excited about this <laughs> long list of future tragic romance episodes coming for you as we are. Um, and if not, I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> because that's definitely happening. Yeah. Um, yeah, so. Oh, exciting. Okay. Yeah, I don't know what it says about the Scottish psyche, but... Yeah. <laughs> 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 Hmm. Interesting question. <laughs> I I do think a lot of the stories are kind of tragic. I think there's definitely I think there was definitely a huge impact like left behind. I think there was a lot of widows left behind after the Jacobite rebellions. Yes. After and after Culloden and just like wiped out entire families. So I think a lot of that I think that's had a lasting impact in a lot of the songs because I think tunes like tunes that were pre-existing I think were then edited to be about the Jacobite Rebellion a lot of the time so I think that's part of it but obviously a lot of these stories are about about Viking princes which is fun apparently so yeah. yeah no I mean so much of art and story is about processing emotion that it's maybe too hard to acknowledge yeah. Plain and, and bare in day to day life. So yeah. romanticize it and take a step away. And I guess there's also there's this interesting aspect where Scotland has always been quite multicultural. Mm-hmm. Like you've sort of had the Picts and the Gales in on the kind of east and the west. And then you've had in the south more of the like at some points more of the Anglo-Saxon mm-hmm. influence and then like and then you've got Vikings coming in from the coast and the west coast and the islands and then today you've kind of got the remnants of that where you have the split kind of between Scots and Gaelic and then you have things like up in Shetland where they still celebrate Uphelia and like all that kind of cultural diversity and I wonder also fun fact they did a like dna kind of survey on scottish dna and they found that it's the most it's like one of the most diverse in the world Mm. they think because it's kind of scotland is as far west and as far north as you can go almost so a lot of people traveled yeah they traveled and traveled and then they just stopped in scotland yeah Yeah, so Back to my point, I was thinking maybe all those kind of competing cultures and things leads to this sense of like forbidden love and loving someone you're not supposed to mm-hmm. or a failure of two sides to come together fully or collaborate or sure. that sort of thing. I wonder if it lends itself to that sort of environment. There would also, I think, probably be a nostalgia for the land you've left behind. Mm. And... I wonder if that's also some of this background thread of the fear that now I will be the one left behind, having been the one that was able to leave, maybe now Mm -hmm. the wheel's going to turn and I'll be on the receiving end of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite, um, 
because one of the we'll talk about this later but one of the kind of really popular aspects of a tragic love story is of the families of the two lovers disapproving um and that being why it's tragic Mm -hmm. and yeah I just wonder if this kind of like that environment with so many different types of people and cultures Mm -hmm. would lead to more of that sort of younger generations wanting to intermingle and older generations remembering when they were invaded by them and that sort of thing yes um yeah i think it's something that comes through in almost every culture and, and branch of mythology that there is that instinct to stay in group yeah and then there's always that tension when we want to step out and expand yeah, um, and especially like you say, with history of relatively recent violence, and mm-hmm. that just becomes massified. Yeah, and the the stories they kind of idealize it and punish it at the same time. Mm-hmm. So we have read out version C. Oh, I say we. Rosie <laughs> has read out version C of the ballad um, collected by. Francis James Childs, who we have relied on many a time. Um, His stories just hit. I really like them. (laughs) So good. Um, But because he is a true MVP, we (laughs) usually have several versions. Um, So obviously version C, we can assume that there's an A and a B. (laughs) Now, um, they are shorter and almost the same story the only differences are like I mentioned so shorter the things that the mother says at the beginning to try and make William not leave might vary so it might be a different piece of food or livestock or maybe uh, in one she offers him just a better bed for the night, which is strange. Where and does weird. he normally sleep? Where does he normally sleep? <laughs> is she offering her bed? That's weird and very concerning. There is. Um, this makes me think a little bit of. Remember, there is. There's that debate about Shakespeare's will, because he yes. leaves his wife the second best bed, and people think it's a slight. But then other people say no, because that would have been the bed that they shared, and the best bed would have would been be for guest guests. Bed. So yeah. I wonder if she's offering him that. Maybe, which you know, helps, helps sanitize the viewer a little bit. <laughs> um, because I think inevitably, uh, say if it was a father and a daughter, it'd be a lot harder to get away from background, yes. creepy, frankly, incestuous yes. implications. It, yeah, um, it does feel a bit weird how desperate she is for him not to see Margaret. It's very strange. That reading doesn't have to be there. I think it's just disingenuous not to Yeah. Not to highlight that we'd be more aware of it if we were swapping around the genders of the person in the story. Yeah. Um, but anyway. Uh, so those are some small differences between the variations and as something that I think annoys both of us. <laughs> <laughs> it's very c- 
clear that the Margaret that's refusing William is not Margaret, but is her mother. And some of the, I think it's is it especially A or B, that does not make that very clear at all. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've got it as B. Mm-hmm. B, it doesn't make it clear. Um, and it yes. doesn't mention if if Margaret drowns. Yes. So A doesn't have her going after him, but it does say that she was never seen again. Yeah. So it's kind of implied that's that. That's there, yeah. Um, but it's wrong. <laughs> it's, it's B is wrong. It's slandering Margaret. It's slandering her. Um, she would never do this. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Basically, we did see because it was fuller and better, and actually, there's maybe not an awful lot more to say about yeah. A and B. Yeah, they they sort of they don't give anything that C doesn't really. Yeah. 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 So the mother's curse, and then the fact that um, in all of them, William is like, "Wow, River, <laughs> really going for it tonight. Mm. That's fine." kill me on my way back if you're going to do it but just let me go to Margaret first yes which is so strange in that <laughs> it's very romantic mm. but it also feels you know as with any doomed lover story there's just this background of fate that you can't yeah. prevent and like the characters are half aware of it but mm. not entirely and that's how you get all the juicy foreshadowing. Yeah. And um, it's, it's so that it's sense of... It doesn't it doesn't want us to be shocked that that they both drown. Oh, yeah. It wants us to spend the whole ballad dreading that they're going to drown. Yes. Which yeah. is how you tell a good story sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's shock. Sometimes it's... Oh, there's nothing I can do to stop these characters yeah. having an awful time. Yeah. There's... Mm. um. So I was... You know, I think we would like to think there could be a sort of second smaller tragedy in the idea that she maybe didn't mean the curse, she was just kind of saying that. Mm -hmm. But I think the ballad, given that in sometimes it's just called Mother's Malison, like Mother's Curse, and the fact that um, it draws attention at the end to you've had a cruel mother William and I've had another it yeah. it seems like it wa- it does want us to feel that this this is her curse and it is a supernatural kind of curse coming true yeah yes it doesn't seem like we would be sympathetic to the mother yeah to either of the mothers at the end um because while Margaret's mother doesn't curse she also just says, yeah, sure, daughter of mine, he was here not long ago. Mm. Of course I'm going to let you leave and walk off after a man on horseback <laughs> across a deep river in the pouring rain. Yeah. And that's fine. I'm not going to try and stop it. It feels yeah. like she's very happy to think, yeah, my daughter might die. I don't, I don't care about that. Yeah. It's, or it's... weird. Yeah, or it's sort of got that aspect of she 
is just really disregarding her daughter's feelings to the point where mm. she just thinks, oh, she'll get over it. Yeah. It's like she's not going to actually properly go after him. Mm-hmm. And I think it definitely wants us to feel that if, uh, if Margaret's mother had just let him in, yes, then they both would be fine. But mm-hmm. also if William's mother had not cursed him, they would yes. both be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it, it definitely wants us to feel that they're both equally culpable. Well, which is why Margaret at the end yeah. says, almost seems to imply that they're as cruel as each other. Which yeah. I don't think has to be true, as you pointed, yeah. out, pointed out. We can read Margaret's mother as just being entirely unaware of how strong Margaret's feelings are. But... I don't know. Now now I want to argue against myself because <laughs> to her daughter's tutor she's like I'm promiscuous and the worst and yeah, unfaithful. She's, she's willing so to she's like quite cruel, actually. Yeah. She's willing to break his heart like that and sully her daughter's reputation. And not even a gentle it wouldn't be gentle, but a like, oh actually I'm in love with someone else bye. Yeah. It's I'm literally sleeping with a lot of men right You're now. You're not special, You're William. You're going to like... have to leave. <laughs> Hang on. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty terrible. <laughs> it's really terrible. Actually, yeah. maybe Margaret's right. Maybe they are as bad as each other. <laughs> yeah. So, I had some thoughts about... So, when we... So, we talked before when we covered another child ballad, um, The Trois Sisters... Yes. about water sort of being associated with birth and with life and in the Trois Sisters ballad the sister's dead body being pulled from the water could be considered as a kind of stillbirth or a kind of failed rebirth mm-hmm. and so I was feeling that in this, ba- in this ballad there's sort of there's something about their mothers who gave them life sort of cursing them and rejecting them and the young lovers reject those mothers in favour of the river as a sort of inverse mother who takes them out of this world instead of bringing them into it and they become it's like they're sort of returning to a womb but it's kind of like a perverted womb because it kills them Mm -hmm. and then you get this line where they become kind of children of the river instead uh, sleeping yes. in the cloud like sister and like brother. Yes. And yeah, so it's almost like I, I feel like there's some something going on with mm-hmm. motherhood and the way it's been done wrong and the way it's being rejected. So they kind of seek out a different mother in the river. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a way of giving them some kind of close bond as yeah. well. Um, though interestingly I had so that like sister and like brother um, it sounds obviously very weird to us yeah. to have a romantic couple kind of labelling themselves sister and brother. Yes. But it's actually something that I've seen before in a few places, so I'm sure that it is said in Middlemarch, 
by George Eliot at the end of the book, mm. again about the, the heroine and the, the hero. Um, and it's, it's at the moment that they admit their love and they hug each other and it, it's described as clinging to each other like brother and sister. Mm. I think it even says something similar in Wuthering Heights, but I don't remember exactly. And there is a similar phrasing actually found in one of the books in the Bible between mm. the people who get married and they address each other as brother and sister. Now we know that they're not. Yeah. And the same is in, in the period drama example. Mm. But the point in all of those is that it's a pure love, if you will. Mm. It's a chaste love. They're not Yeah. They're not yet married in the context of all of them saying yes. it. They're not they haven't consummated the erotic side of their love. Yeah. But they still have that closeness, that intimacy, that familial Yes. Love. Um and so I wonder if that's being said here as well to almost as Margaret as if Margaret is saying I am pure and I am chaste and I haven't been promiscuous mm-hmm. and it's this big contrast of actually I do have innocent pure affection for him that you know has undertone of that because we want to get married and that's yeah. a normal and good impulse but it's not a lust based affection that we have yes um, and that that's what all the other examples implied as well mm-hmm. yeah I definitely I want to circle back to that later when we talk more about tragedy in general because I definitely have something to like come off of that um yeah I just wanted to mention I saw some suggestions um that this story is kind of a warning about not listening to your parents Uh Mm -hmm. but I just feel that it's clearly the parents fault yeah (laughs) that tracks yeah, like, it, it's it's if, if neither of the parents had acted that way, they'd both be alive. If even just one of the parents hadn't acted that way, they'd both be alive. So I, I would prefer to interpret it as, if there is a moral to be had, then it's letting your children be happy and respecting their emotions. <laughs> okay. um, no, but I agree. I think... Uh, for example, Romeo and Juliet, you can argue that the moral of listen to your parents is there and is more legitimate as a reading because there's other suitors mm. who are not bad people. Like mm-hmm. Paris, he's not a bad person. Juliet could marry him and she wouldn't be over the moon. But also we don't know that she wouldn't eventually fall in love with him yeah. and enjoy that life. We don't have any reason to think that she wouldn't other than that she's like 14 and in love with <laughs> the first person that she sees for the first time so obviously <laughs> her passion is yeah. huge but you know that's the point that there is a, a legitimate reading of actually these parents would find appropriate suitors that were pretty good for the time and mm-hmm. um, maybe there is something about Romeo and Juliet being too rash that's not the case here we yeah. don't have Oh, but there would be good options for William and Margaret that are not mm-hmm. each other. Yeah. It feels like... I mean, it is it is Margaret that says it, but to have the last few lines of it be condemning the mothers is... Yeah. yeah. I think it's clear. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, before we... Yeah. We can... I think 
Yeah, I, ju- I just wanted to say, I think part of the reason, because I have always really liked this story, I've always found it really mm-hmm. um, captivating, I don't know. Um, I just wanted to point out, it's got that element that so many great tragedies do, where while it feels like the events are inevitable, it feels like they don't have to be. Oh, yes. So it's like, maybe this time Maggie will answer the door instead of her mother, or maybe this time William will leave his cane and hat in the river and he'll just go home safely, or maybe this time Maggie will make up, wake, she'll just wake up in time to stop him from crossing the river, mm-hmm. or like maybe this time William will not believe her mother and he'll yeah. realise... Yeah. Every time you hear it, there's that little part of you that's like, maybe this time it won't happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like you say, it's... Um, the reason that a tragic story works is because it feels like, in a way, it's so easy to prevent. Mm-hmm. And it's simultaneously impossible because of who the characters are and how the setup is and... And that's even setting aside the whole matter of this is a story, so it's already written. The story isn't being formed as we hear it, even yeah. it sounds like it is. So I just wanted to talk about tragic love stories in general and why we as just people <laughs> seem to like them. Mm-hmm. But by that I mean, like, humanity, not... <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, we are part of that, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. um, but as a species, we enjoy it as a yeah. genre. Yeah, so, yeah, I just wanted to, to first kind of point out that the element of a feuding family is very popular. Mm-hmm. And we see that in Romeo and Juliet, and there's not really a suggestion of a feud in this story, but it's clearly family disapproval that is yep. getting in the way. Um, and I think, you know, and then it makes this version in particular feel more like a Romeo and Juliet compared to the other Scottish examples I listed because mm-hmm. a lot of them don't have that element to it. Yeah. I, although I did see, um, so obviously in the one, the Cory Vrecken one, it's the daughter's father who sets him the task. Mm-hmm. And in one version where he gets the advice about the ropes from his own father, um, his. It, it says that his father thinks that getting a rope of maiden hair is too difficult a task, so his father is actually just making it up and hoping that his son will not attempt it and not die. Okay, interesting. Yeah, so that's got that element there. And I think it does speak to a kind of... It speaks to... It, it, like, it is something that we value as a, as a society, but I think it was a lot more prevalent in the past, where like, fam- like family disapproval is detrimental, mm-hmm. basically. And it can really just ruin you <laughs> as, a, as a couple, as a... Yeah. Um, yeah as a person. So much more um, of an influence of inheritance and mm-hmm. what your family can give you as a dowry. Um, do you get the farm or do you not? Do you get the money or do you not? It's mm-hmm. Because the economic conditions were so much more restrictive, the help of your family actually is something that you can't do without. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then, in a lot of these stories, whether family is involved or not, 
the passion that the two feel for each other, the kind of infatuation is very kind of central. It it really mm-hmm. they always go for kind of contrasting like the highs the highs of the romance, like the most dizzying, most overwhelming mm-hmm. emotions with the utter like utter lows despair. of the disaster and the despair. Yeah. It really it makes it hit home the contrast. Yeah. Um, so then maybe starting to talk about maybe why we like them. Um, oh, okay then. Very quickly, I guess, as a corroborating the contrast idea. Mm. Um, so, as I, as I was saying to you, there seemed to be a lot of balance about a Margaret and a William that are tragic. <laughs> Um, one, for example, Sweet William's Ghost. Mm. I mean, I think the title (laughs) says pretty clearly the type of thing that's going on here. Um, but basically, the, the feeling of, of the ones like Sweet William's Ghost is that Margaret is mourning him so hard that his ghost literally can't find rest. (laughs) And the ghost appears to her like, you've got to stop. <laughs> um, you have to release me from the promise to marry you because I'm dead and I can't fulfill it. Uh-huh. And I cannot move on without Gosh. this uh, like being, being finished. Um, invariably, she releases him after sometimes, say, like asking for a kiss or whatever. And he says, no, it's going to kill you. I'm, I'm, I'm a dead ghost. I can't do that. Um, and oftentimes she'll die on his grave in the next morning. Which is, you know, great. 10 out of 10. Love that. Um, and then another one that feels kind of similar to that, as in when, when he dies first, is, and I don't know if you remember, but it's referenced in Dracula. It's a German poem called Lenore. Oh, yeah. And the guy is called William, again. Mm. Everyone's decided this is a tragic hero <laughs> name, which is great. <laughs> Why not? Um, but in that one, they're engaged, he dies, but she seems to not be able to accept it. He knocks on the door and she leaves with him. They get on mm. the horse and, and he rides um, to the graveyard, basically. Mm. Um, and then they both dies the sun comes <laughs> um, and it's not exactly the same as what happens here but I wonder in a way if this ballad is kind of with her following yeah, him afterwards yeah. I wonder if it's playing on that idea of mm. kind of, even if they had left together yeah. they had eloped they would have still both it's, died in the it's river. almost like he's already doomed Yes. So he, and then she is then pulled into that doom with him. Yes. Um, and so I just wonder if that was the, again, the kind of, we were supposed to be married. It was supposed to be this beautiful, happy, fulfilling, mm-hmm. creative, appropriative relationship. And now we're both doomed and dead. And yeah. And it's awful and it's tragic. <laughs> Apparently, apparently, catharsis was first used to describe tragedy by Aristotle, mm-hmm. and he was the first to use it 
um, as a metaphor and it's linked to the concept of menstruation with the idea of purging the body of things. Mm -hmm. So he used it as a metaphor to mean that these emotions are being purged from the body like these negative emotions of kind of fear and pity and grief are being purged from the body by watching a tragedy. Mm -hmm. um, and the story kind of, so the story sort of, it unlocks a path to these emotions for us and it lets us better process things that might be happening in our own lives if we're struggling to kind of access those emotions. Mm -hmm. um, and then not to like quote Freud as, oh. a, as a nice source, but... The problem is sometimes... He's not wrong. Well, it's easy. It's easy Sometimes. to forget, I guess. With with the crazy things that that Freud says, it's easy to forget that he said a lot of sane things, which we just yep. don't think of as being attributed to him because mm -hmm. they're now so mm -hmm. ingrained in how we Absolutely. think about about psychology. Um, so Freud talks about tragedies as being a way to experience painful emotions and events from a safe distance. Which yep, yep. <laughs> checks yep. out. Yeah, and actually in modern day psychology is somewhat backed up, so because I'm, I'm a big scaredy cat, but I remember reading an article about um, people who watch horror films generally have better stress tolerance mm. because they have that exposure to negative things and mm -hmm. they know how to cope with it better. Yeah. Um, so there's apparently also some recent research i found each of these three things in a good youtube video on the subject which will probably mm. be i'm sure it'll be linked in our sources yeah. yeah so basically there's some recent research um that suggests part of it is that they tragedies kind of let us reflect on our own lives and they sort of elevate the good things that we have in our own lives mm -hmm. in contrast to the tragedy that we're watching and they allow us to kind of ref reflect and feel grateful and mm -hmm. and that also then leaves us with a kind of positive emotion mm -hmm. from having experienced the tragic story so on onto the juicy stuff and to circle back to some of the things you were saying um so there's this kind of concept of sort of immortalizing the the, uh -huh. the deep love of the two characters yes and it keeps their love, like like you were saying, um, just just before, and like you were saying with the brother and sister concept, it sort of keeps the love as this thing that is kind of separate and pure and spiritual, mm -hmm. and it's kind of the sort of distillation of the purest ideas of what love is. Yeah which is never brought down to earth by the sort of practicalities of marriage and children and growing yes. old. Yeah. Um, and they're kind of, they're just frozen in time, just kind of fixed in that state of longing, basically. Mm. And it kind of, it's, as, it's kind of part of this idealization of that stage of love, that kind of infatuation stage and you can also kind of say that they never they never have to realize that the object of their affection isn't a perfect person <laughs> yeah and they never have to realize that it's actually just a person that they're in love with and that that is wonderful and painful at the same time yeah they just stay with the wonder yeah and i think both in older stories and and in modern times you do see like examples that 
where definitely in like you know things like rom-coms that sort of thing where the focus is on that stage of infatuation and not mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. the kind of real lasting love that comes afterwards mm-hmm. and like I like to think that in modern times we see the true reward as the love that comes after the infatuation. But it is a common narrative these days as well when you like people talking about the honeymoon phase and suddenly all of your like you're just accosted by your partner's imperfections and oh, you find them annoying yeah. and blah blah blah. And it never feels as good as the first few months of infatuation. I mean, disagree, but moving on. <laughs> yeah. I mean disagree. <laughs> equally strenuously um that's wrong but <laughs> i guess focus on the stories yeah. Um. yeah but i i do think that's that's an element of it and they they like to sort of cut the relationship off just yes. just when it's kind of getting good and also the kind of just the practicalities, the realities of having to build a life with someone. Um, yes. And yeah. it kind of leaves, it leaves us and it and it leaves them, just kind of floating forever in this sort of giddiness of the infatuation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I don't think that that's exactly new in that stories are always about focusing on the most intense emotions. Yeah. Um, most things in stories are dialed up, especially because they're exploring and helping us process things. And sometimes that's easier with some exaggeration. Um, but I do think that it's a shame and maybe even a problem that we're that sometimes I do think we are moving away from a truth that older stories have about kind of the sacrifice that love Mm. requires to keep it Mm. strong and healthy and keep building it. Yeah. And, you know, we can question ways that it's represented, like seven years working for a blacksmith (laughs) and things like that. But... I think the reason it's there is because we know it's representing a deeper truth. Yeah. And that's not something that you get in a lot of rom-coms. Like you say, we kind Mm -hmm. of end just when they learn about each other's fuller character and deeper flaws. And they both say, oh, okay, well, I'm still in love with you. Great. End scene. (laughs) What? Guys! (laughs) The rest of your relationship is just beginning. The truth is just being revealed. And the film ends now? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's... While I... I do find... I do buy it that... This idea that we're ending almost at the best part. Um, or, like, ending it before it gets bad. I totally buy that that's a reason why these stories are popular. Mm. Um, it's not how I read it, <laughs> but like I buy that a lot of people will read it like that, and a lot of people will intend it to be read like that. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think for me, a lot of it is, I I don't feel like, you know, I, I it is impactful because it is forever immortalized in the longing and the yes. 
the hope for the future that never comes to be. Mm-hmm. But for me, the tragedy is just compounded upon by what a lovely little life they could have had together and now they don't. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I think I think most people would agree yeah. in that the tragedy is layered. Yeah. Some of it is... We're sad that these beautiful young people with their whole life ahead of them died. We're sad that they never got to experience the long-term future joys of marriage and kids and growing old together and all of the good left to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and we mourn the idealised love that they get to just inhabit forever as spirits that never change. Um, there's a lot going on. Which is why they're so rich and I think why we come back to them so often. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, that video I was watching raised the idea that um, when the love is between characters who are breaking social convention to be together, mm. um, the tragedy is sort of serving this practical purpose of upholding the norms of society and it's sort of it allows people to secondhand experience the thrill of breaking the convention and to live that fantasy but then to remind them that it'll end in tragedy and they shouldn't they shouldn't do that but i don't know because i think part of the element of these tragedies is that <laughs> part of the element of these tragedies i think is that when you when you listen to them or watch them, you mm. sort of think, I want what they have, but I'm going to make sure that my mother doesn't curse me and it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> like, mm. this is a roadmap for what not to do. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's too simplistic to say that the only answer to the roadmap is so I won't marry out of group. Yeah. I, I mean, there's other answers you could try and make sure that it's you know you can it can be someone out of group maybe that is more acceptable to your family circumstance mm-hmm. you can elope if you want to though a lot of stories end really really badly if you try and do that too <laughs> um and yeah i think just really feel it's oversimplifying yeah. when people say this seems subversive but it's fake yeah I don't think yeah and I don't think it really tallies with the way people actually respond to these stories I don't think it warns people off of of oh no I mean as famously everyone knows you know if you don't think about the pink elephant you're thinking about the pink elephant. Yeah. Um, insert Garfield meme. <laughs> None of us are immune. Yeah. Um, and we all know that. We've known that forever. That's why we have cautionary tales. And it's also why they don't really work. Mm-hmm. Because we're curious and we're interested and we want to try doing it better. Yeah. And there's also just the fact that the in just fairy tales in general, the rags to riches story by Ma- like 
going from nothing to queen by marrying a prince it's so common <laughs> it's so common so it sort of feels like it's more like we have the fantasy of marrying up I guess and being lifted out of poverty mm-hmm. and that sort of thing and these kind of tragedies where I mean not that our story today is exactly like that but the ones where they are breaking a social convention to be in love it's it's more kind of I think saying to people it's sort of as if it's saying to people you oh so you have this um you have this fantasy of breaking social convention and of forbidden love and of marrying across groups and that sort of thing well you know you know what you're afraid of let's examine what you're afraid of about that situation Mm -hmm. let's examine uh the worst that could happen yeah and you know to do justice because i do think they have some kind of warning function yeah as in the worst that you fear could indeed be incredibly bad uh are you prepared for that as a risk what are you going to do to try and mitigate that mm-hmm. um is this really the pandora's box that you're willing to open mm-hmm. yeah and then oh this is kind of <laughs> this is a little j- disjointed but um just on the subject of how important like we mentioned before how important it is to establish the dread in these mm-hmm. stories um, yeah he gets a nosebleed at the start yeah. and in the sort of modern covers of this ballad they normally change it to his heart begins to bleed because nose, nosebleed sounds a bit weird um <laughs> But it might be that the nosebleed is supposed to be a bad omen and it's meant to establish the dread right from right from the first line. Um, but there's also the mother's curse, <laughs> which does that. And there's, there's also the fact that sometimes the ballad is simply titled Drowned Lovers. So... Mm-hmm. Which feels pretty clear, yeah. Drowned Lovers, or it's called The Mother's Curse, or... What else is it called? Clyde Clyde's Water. water. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we know where it's ending. None of this is promising. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I remember... They say the same in stories about... Uh, in kind of, you know, uh, Troy. The, it begins with a synopsis of what's mm-hmm. going to happen and then you have to go through those 10 days where everything goes wrong mm-hmm. and Hector die and Achilles die. and the whole point is that you know that this is going yeah. to happen already and the same in, in Romeo and Juliet Yeah, right from the yeah. off it tells you they will die <laughs> they are going to die um, which is uh, um, I guess this is a tiny bit irrelevant but fun trivia star-crossed is supposed to mean that the stars are against this. Mm. That itself, that would have been understood by the audience of the time, not those, oh, this is some amazing people. No, it meant doomed. Mm -hmm. The stars are are not in favour of this. You're not written in the stars. The stars are like, could you stop, please? (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to kill you. (laughs) Yeah. Um, 
the, the universe is not um, is not structured in a way that will allow this to happen. Yeah, we are not in favor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think it's so interesting that we've kind of flipped that meaning around. Yeah, we've we've kind of changed it from doom to destiny. Yeah. Um, which there's kind of no way to tie that back to this story in a way, but I just wanted to share the etymology trivia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there is there is a definite romantic. It's it's almost like what has happened to that term is part of just the way in which we romanticize things that are doomed. Mm. and things that are fleeting and things that are lovely but are just never going to work out and yeah and um interestingly (laughs) so i've been rereading some terry pratchett and there's these two characters and they're both at this point in the story they're both they're both um elderly and both at the height of their respected respective um, professions mm-hmm. but they were in love when they were younger and there was a point where he asked her to marry him and oh. she says no I'm going to go and do this I'm going to go and be mm-hmm. a witch and he goes off and, be, and is a wizard and they are and they meet again and they're old and it's this kind of like um, oh it, like it, it's all like oh the room should have stopped as they locked gaze and all that kind of thing but it didn't but and so they're they're talking again and he's kind of he keeps going on about what might have been if we'd got married what children might we have we would have been grandparents by now and she keeps saying and what about the fire and he's like what fire and she's like the fire that happens after we married and it it sweeps through the home and it kills both she's like you don't know what could have happened um you know you got tired of me and you became you became drunk and and that was you became a drunk because it was the only way to deal with me um so basically, I guess, is that he is kind of, this character, he's kind of lost in the romance of what might have been. Mm. And she's making her peace with the fact that she lost it by saying she doesn't know what might have been and it could have all turned out horribly. Yeah. Um, I guess it's just part of the way in which we so strongly romanticise the whole concept of what might have been. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like never finding out the possibilities of what could have happened like in a way she's right they don't actually know what could have happened it yeah. could have gone terribly they might have died in a fire as soon as they got married I mean, they might. but we just love to it's like the potential of what could have been yeah the ultimate romance of what could have been is protected by the fact that it never was absolutely um i think it's why we find potential so seductive and why we enjoy time travel stories and things like that where it feels like you have the power to do anything and change everything and get the perfect outcome that you want Mm -hmm. and then invariably the moral is always you don't know what the perfect outcome is how could you you're a tiny limited human you don't get to control that you have to enjoy what you have otherwise the potential of all of the good that you could have had or all of the bad you might have experienced is going to kill you you're not going to be happy in the life that you're in 
And the wise thing to do is to put that to bed mm -hmm. and make your peace with it. Um, acknowledging both aspects, but the, the life that you're in now is the one that you have and the, the one that you need to pursue and work on. Um, yeah. But it's, I think it's also why we need the tragic stories that let us safely feed that part of <laughs> escapist yeah. um, joy and <laughs> spice. Yeah. Um, and it, it makes me think a little about the kind of the stereotype of um, people who like people who are afraid of commitment that kind of stereotypical character where they cut things yeah, off as soon as yeah. they get good because they just want to live in that potential because they're too afraid of yeah. the loss like yeah. the, they're too afraid of the flip side of the potential they yeah. don't ever want the truth yeah I just think it's interesting to acknowledge that there actually are real people that do kind of live in that way. <laughs> like it is, it is a kind of, it's a state of mind that we all kind of have in us and we all experience through tragedy, but there's also, it's, it's, there's real people who function that way because of, you know, whatever has happened in their life. It's true. I think that's some of. I would imagine that it's a lot of people like that that end up writing tragedies. Mm. I think it's so interesting that a lot of people who write incredibly sad stories are invariably people who never got married, never had a family, never felt the the love and the commitment mm -hmm. and the hope of it working out. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I think there is, and there can be two types of writers. There can be the type that write themselves the happy ending that they never got, mm. and there's the type where, because they never got it, writing any kind of happy ending is too painful. Yeah. Which leads to all kinds of fascinating questions that we'll never be able to answer <laughs> about where this story comes from. Which is some of the fun of folklore. Yeah. We don't know who wrote the first version of it, who mm -hmm. came up with the first ideas, who modified it the most and has left the biggest imprint on the version that we have now. Yeah. And I do, I wonder if with this one, it seems like, you know, I. I don't like to reduce folklore to this, but with this one, I'd be willing to believe that something did happen, mm. an event did happen that then, you know, you can imagine like a young person tragically drowns or any person tragically drowns mm. in, in a storm or in a flood. And over time that gets built upon and it gets, oh, but did you know that they were, they were really young, they had their whole life ahead of them. Uh, but did 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 you know that they were also in love? Did you know that actually I heard that both lo lovers died together? <laughs> yeah, and I I imagine in a way the progression might be, a young person died. So, yeah. mm -hmm. Oh, that widow over there, she was actually in love with him. Yeah. Um, further on down the line, and when kind of you know she's passed on as well. Actually, she died with him. In yeah. The <laughs> in the um, river. Because. The people telling the story are no longer the people that knew mm -hmm. them. 
so the story now becomes actually a story instead of someone's history and it now becomes something we can change and modify yeah and I do think this story has a quality to it where it does feel very real Mm, mm, feels like it's something that could have happened and it's not that the other stories we touched about couldn't have happened but they're very like it's incredibly dramatic and high high romance to stab yourself in the heart with the same dagger that your husband just stabbed himself (laughs) with I mean people do things that if that happened in a story you'd think "Mm, that's a bit excessive yeah but yeah that that feels like the kind of thing you'd write in a story because it works so well. Mm-hmm. This feels like the kind of thing that grows out of an organic yeah. occurrence. Yeah. Well, I hope that this has been... I, I hope that <laughs> this has been some fun, fun things to ponder. <laughs> um, interesting things to ponder. Interesting, I think. Hopefully we've delivered... Yeah. I think we began a lot more fun than we ended. Um, yeah. And I almost feel the need to apologise for that one. Yeah, it's just it's just hard to spend too much time talking about doomed love <laughs> <laughs> without getting a bit sad. Yeah. Um, yeah, true, you've said it all. Um, well, yeah. we will end with a positive wish that... Um, we're going to get the good love right now. Yeah. Go snuggle with somebody. Good friend, pet, family. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> <laughs>